Howdy, folks. This is the Words of Truth from the Scriptures podcast. I'm Brian Yeager. I'm glad that you have tuned in to listen. Uh, today, we're going to talk about our Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ, and what He did in abolishing death. We're going to talk about where that language comes from, and we're going to study a little bit about what that means. The great thing about Bible study is that when we look at the Scriptures, Romans 15, 4 says, Whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we, through patient and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. So that was said to the Christians who were in the congregation in Rome as Paul was writing to them. So one of the great benefits of Bible study and obedience to those things that you learn from the Scriptures is that you can have hope, that you can look at the world and be able to press through all the chaos and insanity that's going on and all the things that might distract you and just look forward and press forward. So this lesson is definitely intended to get us to think. It's also just a, a good uh, Bible study on, on some language that's in the Scriptures, thinking about the hope that is before the Christian in eternity. In the beginning, back when God created the heaven and the earth, that's the beginning of the physical things that we know to be the planet that we live on and all that was put in place, man was created from the dust of the earth and put in the garden, and that garden was the tree of life. In Genesis 2, 7-9, through 9, says, The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to sight and good for food and the tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So Adam and Eve are put in this garden and they're told not to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. In Genesis 2, 16, 17, the Lord God commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in that day that thou eatest, thou, therefore thou shalt surely die. So God gives them instruction, tells them the consequences that come about if they disobey that instruction. So in Genesis chapter 3, 1 through 7, the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which God had made. And he said to the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of God, God has said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day that you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that was pleasant to the eyes. Tree desired to make one wise. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them were both open, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves uh, aprons. So if you Look down a little bit further in the context, verses 19 through 23. God tells him, In the sweat of thy face shall thou eat bread. Thou shalt return unto the ground, for out of it thou wast taken. For dust thou art, and dust thou return. And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. 
unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord make coats of skin and clothe them. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become as one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. That's an important imagery there that the tree of life uh, gives forth for eternal life. We're going to talk about that even in a spiritual application later in this lesson. But back to this text. It says, Therefore, the Lord God sent him forth from the Garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So in a nutshell, that's how death entered into the world. That's how sin entered into the world. And in times past, under what, what was called the law of Moses, uh, Psalm 55 and verse 4 says, My heart is sore pain within me, and the terrors of death are falling upon me. Well, death under the law of Moses, without the hope that we have in Christ, was very scary. And maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, man, what are you talking about? Death is scary now, uh, too. Now, if, if you think of death in that way, and, and I, now uh, let me categorize this. Uh, it's pretty reasonable to fear means by which one may die. I mean, there's some pretty terrible things that could happen to somebody, drowning, fire, uh, long-term illnesses that lead to miserable uh, life that, that ends up in death, etc. Uh, I'm not talking about that. We're, we're just death in general, the idea of the ceasing of physical life. Under the law of Moses, they weren't able to talk about the things that we're going to talk about today, things that make death a source of hope instead of fear. One of the things that Jesus did when he came into this world and fulfilled his Father's will and, and all the words of the prophets and everything else, in Hebrews 2.15 says, "...to deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage." The fear of death is a form of bondage. Jesus came so that that fear could be done away. I mean, when you're reading through Old Testament scriptures, the hope that we have presented through the New Testament really isn't there. Like uh, in 2 Samuel 14, 14, we must needs die and are as waters uh, uh, built on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. Now, if somebody were to say that to me today, and, and the verse goes on, by the way, it says, neither doth God respect any person, yet doth he devise means that his banished be not expelled from him. And in context, that has application. But for our lesson, if somebody were to say to me today, uh, we're, we're, like, we're like water spilt on the ground to never be gathered up again, I'd begin to talk to him about the resurrection, about looking forward to eternal life because of Christ, that that's the cornerstone of the faith of, of a child of God. And under the old law, they weren't talking about that. Jesus hadn't come. He hadn't died. He wasn't buried. He wasn't risen on the third day. He wasn't preached on in the world, you know, he hadn't ascended to heaven. The hope that we have wasn't part of the discussion. The prophecies were, were given, but, you know, when you're looking at the New Testament, uh, the things that are written in the Old Testament are called a mystery that 
gets unveiled in the New Testament, Ephesians 3, 1 through 11. The prophets, when, it, when you're speaking of the hope of the resurrection of eternal life, they desired to look into those things, but they didn't have an understanding of them. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 12, even the angels uh, didn't have an understanding of those things. So when you're reading through Old Testament scriptures, whether it was during the Law of Moses, Job, who likely lived before the Law of Moses, and Job 14, 10 through 14, says, but man dieth and wasteth away, yeah, man giveth up the ghost. And where is he? As the waters fail from the sea and the flood decayeth and dryeth up, so man lieth down and riseth not. Till the heavens be no more, they shall not awake, nor be raised out of their sleep. Oh, that thou wouldest hide me in the grave, that thou wouldest keep me in secret until thy wrath be passed, that thou wouldest appoint me a set time and remember of me. If a man die, shall he live again? Question. That's a question from Job. All the days of my appointed time will I wait till my change come. It's not a question for somebody now. We know death can be viewed differently. When Paul was writing to the Christians in Philippi, he was in prison at the time that he wrote that epistle. And there were people preaching and, and they were doing so with impure motives. And in that context, uh, he says in Philippians 1, 21 through 23, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's a whole lot different language than you hear from David or Job. Uh, he says, but if I live in the flesh, that is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I wot not, for I am in a straight betwixt two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. So, hey, death isn't spoken of as water spilt on the ground that'll never be risen again. Death isn't spoken of as in, you know, will I ever live again? Oh, there's a, an assurance of it, a, a knowledge and an understanding of what is to come. So when we look at the language of, of, our, of our lesson, it could be confusing. What do you mean Jesus has abolished death? I mean, I don't know about you, but I, I've known many, many people who have died in the flesh. So Jesus didn't take away death that was brought into the world through even Adam uh, in Genesis chapter 3. So what does that mean? Is, is that present, future? Let's dig into it a little bit. First, with where the, the phrase of our lesson uh, is, is coming from, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul is writing to the evangelist Timothy. When you read 2 Timothy, Paul is near the end of his life, 2 Timothy 4, 6-8. He's kind of passing the torch. Uh, Timothy is an evangelist. Uh, there are no apostles uh, appointed. Paul was the you know, one born out of due time, the last of the apostles. So the work of the apostles uh, is going to end with uh, you know, the death of the last apostle. Uh, Paul, as far as his work goes, is coming to a conclusion. So he's writing the evangelist Timothy. says in 2 Timothy 1, 8 through 10, be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. 
marvelous statements, uh, all kinds of things. You know, it's it's very difficult for me when I'm presenting texts like this. I, I want to talk about every part of it, and and it's hard to to stay on what the subject is. Uh, you know, but just looking at this, unpacking it real quick. You know, Paul's in prison. Um, he's writing again to, to from from being in prison. It's like that's persecution, folks. That's things that I'm not facing for preaching the gospel uh, right now. And and he's asking um, this man that is like minded with him. When when you look at the New Testament and you study a little bit about uh, Timothy as an evangelist, and you find him written about in Philippians chapter two. 19 through 24, one of the things that Paul says about uh, Timothy is in, in verse 20 of, of Philippians 2, for I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. And he's talking about Timothy and why he's going to send Timothy uh, in his place. Uh, Timothy, very close to Paul and, and obviously like-minded uh, with Paul, trusted with the gospel, means a lot to Paul how Timothy views him. And then from that, uh, from those statements talking about the afflictions of the gospel uh, and the power of God who saved us and called us, called by the gospel, 2 Thessalonians 2.14, not, not, uh, according to His purpose and grace. You know, a lot of people uh, think they're in Christ and they're in Christ selfishly. They're in Christ thinking they're fulfilling their work. It's really the Lord's uh, work. And not according to our words. If Jesus doesn't come into this world, you know, when when you when you study through uh, the New Testament, through the Old Testament, if Jesus doesn't come into this world, there is nothing anybody could do to save themselves. What what we start off with in Genesis chapter three and the lack of hope that is found in in, in the passages we looked at in Second Samuel fourteen fourteen and Job fourteen. Uh, 10 through 14, that, that's still how we'd be talking today. There'd be no way around it. There, there, you could go out and do a million quote-unquote good works, and none of them would amount to salvation. Without Christ, it would just be nothing. It would be meaningless, be pointless. Uh, but now it's in Christ, and that plan began before the world began. I mean, there's a lot here. It's just wonderful, right? I know I, I need to I need to get on to what we're supposed to be talking about, but it's hard sometimes just to stay on point when you got all these beautiful things that we're talking about in this text. Uh, so Jesus comes to the world and, and and he's made known, he's manifest, he's abolished death. Let, let's think on that. So when we look at, at the book of Romans, um, you know, when there, there's a problem in the book of Romans, uh, somebody driving down my street with a loud stereo, don't know if you can hear that, but hopefully not. Uh, there's a problem when we're reading the book of Romans, written to the, to, to the saints in Rome, and they're divided. The Jews and the Gentiles, much like we read at other places in the scriptures, uh, like Acts chapter 15, uh, where there's some division there in Antioch. Uh, when you read the book of Galatians, Galatians 2, 1 through 5, th there's a problem in the New Testament between Jews and Gentiles. And the book of Romans, it, it deals with that heavily. The Jews thought that they were God's special people, and in times past that was true. They were Abraham's seed. Of course, 
they thought because they were Abraham's seed that that meant something. They were they were saved uh, just because of that. In fact, John when, when John the baptizer came uh, preaching, that's one of the things that he had to uh, deal with. He had to deal with the fact that the Jews didn't think they needed the gospel. They didn't think they needed the good news. Um, and, and Matthew three nine, the text says, quoting John. Think not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. So th this was a problem that the Jews had. On the other hand, and you see this when you read through the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans, uh, the, the Gentiles thought that the Jews had blown it and that they were part of the tree uh, because the Jews had blown it. And they needed to realize that without the Jews, you have nothing. So... Uh, this is kind of the, the big picture of the book of Romans is that everybody needed Christ, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile. You could not come to God in any other way. It's like John 14, 6, when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Uh, when you're reading through the book of Romans, chapter 3 points out that uh, in the past, both Jew and Gentile were sinners needing salvation. Romans 5, pointing that out again, but going as far back to Adam. In Romans chapter 5, 12 through 21, it says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered in the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sins. That same point made in Romans 3, 23 in the context that's you know, pointing out Jew and Gentile uh, are, are all in their past, all have past tense uh, sin. And Romans 3, 9 says, What then? Are we better than they? No, in no wise. For we have proved both Jew and Gentile that they are all under sin. So coming back to this text, uh, in Romans chapter 5, 12 through 21, we continue reading. It says, For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death, and remember that's the consequence that Adam and Eve brought into this world. Death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. So, you know, no one did anything. Uh, Adam and Eve brought death into the world. You, you didn't, I didn't, no one in the past, no one between, to stick to the context, no one between the time of Adam and Moses, Moses come bringing uh, the old law, had done anything to bring death into the world. Uh, so as the offense is, so also is the free gift. No one has done anything to bring Christ into the world. That Christ came to the world of the Father's will, but also when you read John chapter 10, verses 1 through 18, Jesus had authority to lay down his life and take it up. He, he, he submitted uh, to the Father's will, but he did so by choice. So back to the text. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one man's death, or one man's offense, sorry, 
death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. And that, that's kind of a parenthetical side thought. Uh, the text comes back and says, Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience were many made sinners, so by the obedience, uh, and this is talking about Jesus obeying his Father, right? By the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That is, sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. So, so here's what we're talking about. Physical death and eternal life. Jesus was obedient to his Father's will. In contrast, Adam and Eve were disobedient to our Father's will. Though so Jesus learned obedience by the things that he suffered, Hebrews 5 verse 8, and being made perfect, verse 9, became the author or the source of eternal salvation unto all that obey him. So when we look at Romans 5, there 12 through 21, because of Christ, we have the opportunity for death not to reign over us. And if you keep reading, see, you know, scriptures broken down by chapters sometimes are a negative because people think, well, you know, the context changes and, and it doesn't. This is one letter. When, when the saints in Rome received this letter, when they, they didn't receive it broken up by verses and chapters. I, I don't know about you. I'm, I'm thankful for the sake of reference that we have uh, chapters and verses, uh, but those were added much, much later, not by God, not inspired. So therefore, sometimes people, they, they confuse and they think, well, you know, Romans 5 ends at verse 21, Romans 6, a whole new subject. No, uh, Romans 6, I, I'm going to read Romans 5.21 and I'm just going to continue and just notice the flow of it. Romans 5.21 beginning through chapter 6 and verse 12 says that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How that we that are dead to sin live any longer therein. Know ye not that so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death? Therefore, we're buried with him by baptism into death, like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For we've been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin, by the way, that word freed means justification, just like we talked about, you know, you read in, in Romans chapter 5. Back to point, Romans 6 and verse 8. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we also shall live with him. Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, reckon yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it and the lust therein. Uh, wonderful, powerful lessons. I mean, and, and you just keep you just keep reading chapter six, chapter seven, chapter eight, and on. You know, two verses later, uh, Romans six fourteen: For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under the law, but under grace. What Jesus brought into this world was to to put away the consequence of of sin and bring hope that there is something thereafter. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it's known as the resurrection chapter, verses 21 through 23 says, For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, after they that are Christ at his coming. Just kind of make a, a side point. Uh, we're, talking, we're talking about the hope that Christians have in the resurrection. But as a little side note, it's not just Christians that are going to rise uh, from the dead. And John chapter 5, 28 and 29, marvel not at this for the hour is coming and the which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice. They shall come forth. They that have done good under the resurrection of life and they that have done evil under the resurrection of damnation. Doesn't get any clearer than that. Uh, everybody is going to face death. You know, there, there are two exceptions in the, in the Bible, uh, Enoch and Elijah, and there will be the exception in the future. If Christ came today, we who are alive uh, would be taken up uh, to meet him in the judgment. First Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, there's specifics there. The dead in Christ will rise first, and we which are alive will be caught up. But those that have died, those that have faced physical death, the, all of them, good and evil, are going to be risen to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So death is not the end of all things. Uh, in fact, it's the beginning. And, and there's a lot of side studies we could have, but uh, I'm not going to go down every one of those roads in this particular podcast. If you're listening to this podcast, <coughs> excuse me, and you have questions, feel free to contact me. I'll give my contact information at the end of the podcast, but it's also uh, likely you should be able to see my contact information in whatever way you're streaming this uh, as well if you look at the show in that regard. So I want to talk about death being abolished. Um, when when you pull out you know, your uh, Bible dictionary, maybe you're using an application, a lot of free applications out there so that you can do this yourself. You don't have to trust me. You can look it up. You, you can click on that word abolished or you can look up the word abolished in something like Strong's Concordance. You can flip to the back of Strong's Concordance and you, you'd be given a number for abolished. It's Strong's number 26. Uh, 73, and you would look in the back where, where the definitions are, and it says to render entirely idle, useless, literally or figuratively, abolish, cease, cumber, deliver, destroy, do away, become, make of none effect, without effect, fail, loose, bring, come to not, put away, down, vanish away, make void. So when we're talking about Jesus has abolished death, he's rendered it useless. He's destroyed it. He's done away with it. He's lessened the effect of it, made of none effect. It's vanished away. It's, it's made void. Now, 
Come back to a question we asked earlier. But wait, we all know people that die. So what's that talking about? Well, it's a promise to come. It is about the resurrection. In 1 Corinthians 15, 26, the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. So it's, it's not the immediate effect. Jesus didn't go to the cross, um, get buried, risen on the third day, and ascend unto heaven, uh, and then all of a sudden nobody dies. It's looking forward. In 1 Corinthians 15, 52 through 57, as a describing what is to come, and it says, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is law, but thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The victory is then. The victory is then. Uh, when, when we think about Jesus coming into this world and the, the wonderful thing that he did and taking away the fear of death, the verse before that, we read earlier Hebrews 2.15, the verse before that, Hebrews 10.14, says, "...for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood..." He also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that hath power of death, that is, the devil. So when we look at that, we're, we're talking about future, looking, looking forward. Uh, once risen, uh, death isn't going to happen again after the resurrection. In Luke chapter 20, there's a discussion here, and, and, and this kind of gives us a little bit more of that detail and puts the scripture with the point that I made. Once resurrection has occurred in the end, death isn't going to happen again. So if you're in heaven or in hell, you're not going to die again. It's, it's not going to, there's not going to be a reset. There's not going to be some, some other thing coming. Uh, your fate's going to be sealed for all eternity. They that have done good, like we read earlier, on the resurrection of life. They that have done evil on the resurrection of damnation, right? So in Luke 20, 28 through 38, saying, Master, Moses wrote unto us, If any man brother die, having a wife, and he die without children, that his brother should take his wife and raise up seed unto his brother. There were therefore seven brethren, and the first took a wife and died without children, and the second took her to wife, and he died childless. And the third took her, and like manner the seven also and they left no children and died. Last of all, the woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife of them is she? You know, this, this is like modern, modern day false teachers. They think, I'm going to ask you some kind of trip up question, and this is going to prove our point. Well, they want to deny the resurrection, so they tried to twist the scriptures to do so. Uh, seven had her to wife. Jesus answering said to them, The children of this world marry and are given in marriage, but they which shall be accounted worthy to obtain that world and the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. Neither can they die any more. Did you hear that? Neither can they die any more. For they are equal unto the angels and are the children of God, being the children of the resurrection. Now, on to his answer, uh, just so I can give you that wrap up that that context see he says now that the dead are raised even moses showed at the bush when he called the lord god of abraham god of isaac god of jacob he's not a god of the dead but of living for all live unto him so he was pointing out that 
um, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were dead at the time of Moses, but Moses spoke mm -hmm. of them as though they were living because they are. Uh, and if you were to go read Luke 16, 19 through 31, they're living either in paradise or torment. Immortality is in front of us, but it's brought to light, like we read in 2 Timothy 1, 8 through 10, through the gospel. Now, I, I brought up John 5, 28 and 29, but if you back up to John 5, 24, um, it says, verily, verily, Jesus says... Excuse me here. Just mute, th mute that for a moment. And if that's you calling me, I'll get back to you. It says Washington, D.C., so I'm going to guess that it's a telemarketer. John 5, uh, 24 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Verily, verily, I say unto you, The hour is coming, and now it is, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. For as the Father hath life in himself, so he given to the Son to have life in himself, and hath given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. So you notice, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me. Right? That's, that's the key. And then, like we talked about earlier, verses 28 and 29, and I'm just going to repeat it, marvel not at this, the hour is coming, which all there in the grace shall hear his voice shall come forth. They that have done good under the resurrection of life and they that have done evil under the resurrection of damnation. So through the words of our Lord, um, eternal life is brought into, everlasting life is brought into the light. It's made known. We know about it because of the scriptures. Again, as we talked about earlier in our lesson, David and Job didn't have that information that we now uh, have. Now, I want to talk about something else, too. As I was thinking about death, and as we were reading in Romans chapter 6, um, we're talking about being spiritually alive, dead to sin and spiritually alive. It's kind of important to think about, though 2 Timothy 1, 8, and 10, 8 through 10 is not talking about spiritual life. It, it is def definitely talking about abolishing physical death. Um, I want to think about something else that happens because of Christ uh, and, and tie it in a little bit to give you some, some something else that we have hope in. In sin, a person becomes spiritually dead. Once you sin, you become a spiritually dead person. When Paul was talking about uh, widows indeed and the difference between a widow indeed and the younger women, etc., in the context of 1 Timothy 5, 3 through 16, and the point of that context, Paul is trying to, he's teaching Timothy, who's supposed to go on and teach uh, others, 2 Timothy 2, 2. He's teaching what, what a, a widow needs to be qualified in for the church to long-term take care of her financially. She has to be over 60 years old, etc., etc. The younger women were told to marry, uh, bear children, guide the house, give on occasion the adversary speak reproachfully, etc. It's talking about in the context how the burden of taking care of a, a widow, even a widow indeed, first falls to family, but if she has nothing and she's destitute, very specific qualifications. In that context, uh, Paul talks about the widow who in 1 Timothy 5, 6, but she that liveth in pleasure is dead while she liveth. That is, she's spiritually dead. She's in sin. The soul that sinneth 
it shall die. Ezekiel 18.4 has physical and spiritual application. When, when, you, when you're thinking about that, you know, Ezekiel 18.20, the son shall not bear the iniquity of the father, neither the father bear the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. Sin is not passed on. It's something you do. It's a, a, a choice that you make. Uh, when we look at the progression of sin in James 1, uh, 13 through 16, it says, Let no man say when he is tempted, I'm tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempted thee any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived it, bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. You know, the wages of sin is death, Romans 6, verse 23, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's physical, but yes, it's also spiritual. I want you to notice this. Even before the physical resurrection, there's a spiritual way in which those that are dead in sin can come back to life. I love this point. That's why I wanted to include it in this podcast. I don't need to be spiritually dead. I can, I can, I can come back to life spiritually uh, in the flesh and, and a restored relationship with God. In the parable of the lost son, Luke 15, 11 through 24, he said, a certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divideth unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. And there wasted his substance with righteous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land. And he began to be in want. He went and joined himself to a citizen of that country and sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would have fame filled his belly with the husk of that swine and did eat. And no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself... He said, how many hired servants of my father's have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will rise and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. He arose, came to his father. When he went a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring hither the fatted calf, and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. Notice, for this my son was dead, and is alive again. He was lost, and is found, and they began to be merry. When a person's in sin, they're dead. But when they repent and are converted, that dead, lost person is now alive. In Romans chapter 8, you know, Romans chapter 7 talks about the putting away of the law of Moses, um, and the physical law and what the physical law did. Romans chapter 8 contrasts it with the spiritual. Romans 8, 1 and 2, Thou therefore is no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life is Christ Jesus had made me free from the law of sin and death. So you're no longer uh, having to look at the physical. Now you can be spiritually alive. In Ephesians 2 uh, talking to the Ephesians, you know, the church in Ephesus started in Acts 19, 1 through 7, with the conversion of, of the men that were there who had been baptized with the baptism of John, had to be properly taught and uh, converted to Christ. Uh, in Ephesians 2, 1 through 5, and he says, And you hath he quickened, that is, to be made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in times past you walked according to the course of this world, According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we had our conversations in time past of the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. 
But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath he quickened us together by Christ, by or with Christ, by grace you are saved. In Ephesians 5, same epistle, same group of people, Christians in Ephesus, he says in verse 14 of Ephesians 5, wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. Uh, the church in Colossae is written in Colossians chapter 2, 12 and 13, says, Buried with him in baptism, where God hath risen him through faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your sins and the circumstances of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all your trespasses. That's just like we read in Romans chapter 6, uh, verses 3 through 6. Um, and, and, and the fact that they were justified after they were baptized into Christ, Romans 6 and verse 7. So you are dead in sin. And initially, when a person obeys the gospel, and, and part of that process is water baptism, and water baptism, you, you are raised from, from the dead, and you now have a newness of life. You're now a new creature uh, in Christ. So we have this great hope in Christ of the future, being physically risen unto eternal life. But long before that, people from the first century forward have been able to be dead to sin and live, brought back to life in Christ, living uh, spiritually, not spiritually dead anymore. And, and the interesting thing, you know, we we're talking about earlier, uh, the tree of life, the figure of the tree of life is used uh, in the book of Revelation written to the seven churches in Asia, where it's used about, you know, spiritual life. It says in Revelation 2, 7, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches to him that overcometh while I give the eve of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. And in Revelation 22, 14, Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. So what was taken away in the garden, the tree of life, and blocked off, we have to look forward to. So we have this whole process where we, we might, uh, when you commit a sin, you're spiritually dead. You can be brought back uh, to life. And then you know that coming again in the future is that tree of life where, where that, that circle that began in the beginning get to come all the way back to physically and spiritually alive in Christ for all eternity. Boy, what a beautiful, beautiful thing. Uh, and, and that's what it means that Jesus has abolished death, is that we can look forward to being alive for all eternity in our Father's house, joint heirs with Christ, Romans 8 and verse 17. That hope that we have. You know, 1 John 5 uh, says in verse 11 and 12, this is the record that God has given us, this is written to Christians, eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. So think about this. You have life now in Christ, been brought back to life, no longer dead in sin, and, and you can look forward to the fulfillment of Christ abolishing death in the resurrection, that last enemy, death, being destroyed at that point in time. That's the hope that we have. We don't have to fear coming to the end of physical life in this world. You will continue to live, and so for all eternity. But as we've talked about 
in this lesson multiple times, and you can see it clearly in John 5, 28 and 29, you need, to, you need to ask yourself, are you doing good or evil? Because that's going to be what separates you in the judgment, the good un, unto eternal life and the evil unto damnation. That's unget-aroundable, so to speak, uh, in John 5, 28 and 29. Our Savior abolished death, and He became the source, the author of eternal salvation unto all that obey Him, like we talked about in Hebrews 5 and verse 9. So where are you? If Jesus were to come right now, where would you be? If you can't know, if you don't know for sure, through the Scriptures, through the evidence of the Word of God, not through what somebody's told you, if you don't know for sure that if Jesus came today, you'd be in eternal life, don't you think it's about time that you fix that? Our Lord's done His part. What about your part? Uh, I don't typically, in podcasts, because I don't know who I'm talking to, tell you this is what you must do to be saved. I don't know if you're already a Christian. I don't know if you've never become a Christian. So what I like to do at the end of a podcast uh, is simply give you my information so that we can talk. I need to find out where you are so that I can help you be where Jesus is. Uh, and, and not of my own words, but we'll do like we do in every one of these podcasts. Go to the Bible and see what God says you must do to become a Christian. Or if you are a Christian and you've walked away uh, from the faith, the, the process of restoration, James 5, 19 and 20, being converted back, uh, I can help you with, with whatever side of that you're, you're on through the Scriptures. Uh, you could call me at 915-525-5794. Email me, brian at wordsoftruth.net. You can visit my website, www.wordsoftruth.net, but we can talk. I'm in El Paso, Texas, in the United States of America. If you are anywhere near me, and I'm not going to give you a mile thing, but um, I'll just tell you, in, in times past, I've driven great distances to have Bible studies with people. I, I drove all the way to Louisiana, which uh, was a 14-hour drive uh, to study with a man uh, years ago and ended up bringing him back uh, to El Paso uh, with me. Um, your soul is precious. It's precious. Go read Luke 15. Go read Luke 15 and, and, and think about all that's written there about the, the saving of a, of a soul. And I'm an evangelist, so uh, I spend my time trying to help people get to heaven. And that's my purpose and, and goal in life. So I, I'd love the opportunity. You won't be, if you need help with the scriptures, you need help uh, with obedience, you have questions, you won't be putting me out. I, don't, I won't answer the phone and go, oh, no, I get excited. Anytime somebody wants to talk about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And maybe maybe you're uh, listening to this podcast for the first time, been out uh, hanging some door hangers on doors. Maybe you're listening out of curiosity because this week you got a door hanger on your door and you want to know what it's about. Listen, you don't, you don't, if, if you're in El Paso, um, I, yeah, definitely listen to the podcast, but we can talk face-to-face. Get a hold of me quick as possible. Our Lord might come today. I, I don't want to see that happen and you not be ready. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, the next podcast, if all goes according to plan, will be on Tuesday. I hope you'll come back and listen to that. Thank you so much.